So you are butt naked yeah. in a foreign country yeah. with your film camera, I assume, at the time? Yeah, I mean, technically I had what's called a tenagui, which is a, a, a small towel. Okay. Uh, not okay. that small, of course. You know, so you but, had a small towel. Yeah. And you're in um, the Japanese spa yeah. with other naked men and women? Uh, there's a thing called a konyoku, which are, are mixed bathing situations uh, where where and there's less and less ever since the 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 1850s when the West opened up uh, Japan you know the Puritan ethic they they frowned upon the mixed bathing mm. situations and so a, a lot of those baths have sort of been pushed out to more of the countryside and so it's rare but they they still do have uh, mixed bathing situations and so uh, for for my book, the way of the Japanese bath, um, I've shot just on the men's side, uh, and I've shot in, in mixed bathing situations as well. It's an incredible book. That's how I discovered you. I, I found it in a used bookstore in Pasadena. It was like up on the front, uh, the front table, and I was like, "This is awesome!" Just the way it feels, and like I love the black and white photography, and I, I love Japan. I opened it up, and I was like, "Wow." This is incredible. Yeah. How did you take those pictures? How do you just roll up like that and just like butt naked taking pictures of other butt naked people? How is yeah. that not awkward? Well, it actually happened. Uh, the way I discovered it was with a girl that I, I was going out with in, in the early 90s uh, in Japan. And she says, let's go down. Uh, and she's Japanese. And she said, let's go to Beppu, which is on the southern island of Kyushu, uh, and go to Hot Springs. And I really didn't think either way about it other than I thought, well, you know, I wanted to, I've been to Japan before, wanted to explore and wherever she wanted to go was fine. And then I just fell in love with the whole thing. Now, fortunately, she picked the town. If you had to pick one hot spring town, that's the, the number one place, uh, Beppu. Awesome. awesome. Uh, I mean, there are other ones. There's, there's Nobody Bitsu in Hokkaido. There's uh, Rima uh, in, the, in on Honshu. There's Takaragawa. There's other great places, but Beppu really is sort of like the mecca of the hot spring world. Wow. And so we went there and I shot with some Ilford 3200 film, or maybe it was T-Max 3200 film, but very high speed film in this <laughs> sort of low light situation in this magical world of, of steam and bathing. And, and um, those photos actually got a lot of response. So there was uh, sort of an eight year gap between uh, shooting those early images and having those, published and people reacting to it and then uh being back in japan and people saying um oh i actually said oh i'd like to go to a, a hot spring in fact i went with my wife at the time who's japanese and so she um uh, said what do you want to do my parents are going to meet us at your opening i had something for nikon and uh in Shinjuku area of Tokyo, I said, oh, let's go to a hot spring. But I hadn't really thought it out mm -hmm. because all of a sudden here I'm going to be with my in-laws, yeah. you know, naked in a hot spring, <laughs> and um, which was interesting. I, I, I uh, could only imagine. Yeah. I, I think as the father said to Mika later, he says, I could see why you married him. <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> that's not. Oh, that's goodness. not true. That's not true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I, I could see that you just obviously married him just for love. Yes, yes, yeah, that's yes. That was, was the next part. That was yeah, the, exactly. Uh, but anyway, so, so, so then I continued on at that point uh, shooting, uh, you know, seriously and really seeing that this could be a project because uh, I'm often looking for things that are, you know, it's too global uh, or, or too grand to say, okay, 
I want to do a book on Japan or I want to do something on Japan or I want to do something on France. I mean, if, mm. if, if you're working for magazines, the one thing they never, a uh, photo editor or just a, a editor, if, if you're going to write a piece, they never want to hear, oh, I'm going to France. I want to do a story. It's you got to be more specific. So it's always about getting to specifics. And so like Jody Cobb did something for National Geographic on the geisha in Japan, which is, of course, more known geisha. But the way she did it was she went and she went um, and photographed the Maiko, which are geisha in training. I mean, she really did mm. her work. And so whatever you do, you try to get into specifics. And so the bath, I discovered sort of a, you know, not looking for something like that. It sort of found me. But I fell in love with it, and I saw the uniqueness of it, and so that's when I started pursuing it. And the more I did, just kept building upon itself. And so, just like you know, with with uh, my North Korea project, which is of course a whole country, but that's a unique aspect because of the history of it, the complications. And so, I'm always looking for interesting hooks for stories. And so, uh, the way of the Japanese bath is definitely one of them, and one that I've continued. And so, we'll have the third edition coming out uh, by the end of August, beginning of September. Yeah, it's an, it's an incredible book. And, and you know, uh, a few weeks ago, I took your class at Sammy's Camera. And I know you do a lot of kind of like travel classes and yep. whatnot, right? So that was that was a thing that you said in that class was be specific about what you're shooting. Like if you're going to put a book together, if you're going to put an essay together, be specific with it. And that, that blew my mind. It sounds simple. It sounds like, oh, yeah, of course. But like the, the, the more, the more um, specific you can be, Right, the better. Yeah, you know there are people who do, um, uh, you know, like my good friend uh, Nick Ood, who we talked about, who shot the picture of the little girl hit by napalm. You know, he's a generalist. He worked, or he retired, but for Associated Press, and so he could go out one day and cover the Dodgers, and then next day he's he's covering a, a riot. Next day he's he's covering. Um, uh, you know, Britney Spears going to court or or, or whatever. In other words, it's it's one thing after another. He's a generalist. He's not mm -hmm. trying to do photo essays. But 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 for especially freelance uh, people, if they really want to get their work out, they should develop bodies of work. Mm -hmm. A bunch of you know pretty single images. It doesn't really get you very far. And that's definitely the case if you ever want to exhibit. And so if you whether it's fine art or documentary. Uh, look for specifics, just like uh, you and I were talking about Japanese literature, and you read one of my, um, you know, favorite books, uh, "The Woman in the Dunes." Uh, that's a very specific story, right? Yes. It's just not a story about Japan, correct? You know, and so it's yeah. always that sort of thing, whether it's writing or or photography or anything else, or a documentary. I mean, look at the like somebody that I keep talking about right now is Jimmy Chin's. Uh, book, uh, uh, um, or I'm sorry, his, his series. Did you see it? Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Chin. He's the rock climbing photographer, uh, videographer who did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He worked with Alex on the you got documentary. It. What was it called? What was the documentary yeah. called? Wow, that's bad. <laughs> Somebody in this room. I, in fact, it, it's <laughs> it the like, cover. It's the cover feature for uh, Digital Photo Pro magazine. I did my Q and A. With him. Of him against the wall like this kind of thing? Uh, is that what you're talking about or something? Uh, well, yeah, with, with Alex, the, yeah. the shot is him, you know, climbing up. Mm -hmm. And Sammy, would you please um, Google that real fast? Oh, Free Solo. Free Solo. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. We we, go. We've got some great people Thanks, in Christian. here. Christian did it. Thank you, Christian. Christian. You saved us right you. there. Free Solo. <laughs> what an amazing uh, 
movie that is, and I recommend it to everybody Ooh. listening today. Wow. My hands are sweating yeah. during that movie, especially that moment, you know, like he's training for that moment. He's been failing in that moment. Yeah. And he's got to do it for real this time. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my There's God. that one move where he has to do a karate kick. And I won't yeah. tell, uh, you know, the listeners uh, if you made it or not. That's up to you guys to, to see it and then you can find out. But um, wow, what an amazing uh, documentary they did. And of course, Jimmy was out there, you know, hanging you know, by rope to document it. But, but, and I actually did a, a couple of weeks ago, I did a pilgrimage to Yosemite and to the base of El Capitan just so I could look up. And so I, I posted a couple of my Instagram and it's like, he really is crazy. <laughs> just, no, no, he's amazing. He's incredible, but there's something, how could you not, how, I mean, what happens when you're at, you know, a thousand feet, you know, and you're not on ropes and you look down and you, you can't decide, I don't want to be here anymore. Seriously. The, the, the mental strength that he oh. has. And I know in the movie, you know, I, I don't want to give anything away, but they have an MRI and they see some things about his brain uh, that might give him that extra little thing about why he doesn't panic in that situation. But of course he, he studies, you know, every inch of the rock, but, but, but standing at the base and looking up, made it all the more in- incredible. How did you feel when you were standing did. there? Uh, a lot better standing on terra firma than, than somewhere <laughs> up the rock because it, it was just beyond belief. I, I was just in awe of, of what he did. And of course, Jimmy does this all the time, you know, in terms of documenting this sort of thing. And he has to get himself into position. So not only is he, um, is he documenting it, but he's, got a, he's an amazing climber as well. You have to be to be able to do that stuff, and, and oh yeah, and it's crazy to me to think like they touched on it in the in the, in the movie a few times, but basically like his mindset and all of the camera crew's mindset about if Alex if we're filming him and he falls yep. and dies, yep. like we're not going to be able to live with ourselves, especially if we push him to do something that he doesn't feel comfortable that's doing. Right. And we just by us being there, he might do something that's like, hey, check this out, without us even just by our presence, yeah. And some some of the ways they 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 sort of made it a little bit uh, less distracting for him uh, was by putting some preset cameras in positions because I really wondered how did they do some of these close ups of of him without disturbing him mm-hmm. uh, and that's because they locked in some camera positions uh, bolted in or however they they locked it in uh, along the way and then you know Jimmy would be at a, a distance and some of his his uh, other uh, camera people were at a, a bit of a distance, and so they wouldn't really interfere with him. But it's definitely correct. It, how could Alex not feel the pressure of wanting to complete it? Exactly. I mean, he's there. The crew's there. Uh, you know, there were, I, I think, you know, a few months earlier or whatever, there was sort of a false start where he might do it, but he didn't quite feel right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's – and I had said to Jimmy, I said, I, I, is this not the greatest uh, – athletic feat uh, in history just about because, and, and he was talking about, yeah, yeah. You know, if you, if you, uh, you know, drop a, a, a football, you know, in the end zone and, and you lose the Super Bowl, okay, you, you might play next year, but he, but Alex can't afford that one mistake. No. And, and so that's what makes it even more unbelievable. My hands are sweating right now. Yeah. I'm not All feeling right. so good. You, you got a chalk bag with you? <laughs> no, I didn't bring my chalk bag. Oh, see, okay. Then. 
Oh. Yeah. So so Jimmy got specific, right? He yep. got specific with the rock climbing. He he followed Alex and he he found a story. And I like the way you compared the documentary filmmaking to a photo like journal essay. Yeah. I never thought like why didn't I think of it like that? That sounds that's that's awesome. Well, just like I saw the other day, you know, uh, Resputo, the the documentary in Afghanistan about the the soldiers. Yes, Uh, I've never seen it. I've heard of it. Restrepo, I'm sorry. Restrepo, yeah. English comes so hard to me. Um, But Restrepo, I mean, that's once again focused again. In other Mm -hmm. words, he's not trying to do the whole Afghan, you know, the conflict in Afghanistan. Uh, It's specific. You go with these one uh, group of soldiers at this forward operating base. In other words, you get in there, keep going deeper, deeper, deeper. And so whether you're a, a, you know, a photographer, a writer, whatever, you know, get specific. And that makes it more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and just the exercise of of focusing in on something. I uh, just like, you know, with, with the orangutan series I'm doing now, uh, it, it sort of came about by accident in a way. I was doing more of a general a story on on Indianapolis, and I went to the opening of the orangutan center there mm. and did some photos that actually, I don't know if they look simple or not, but they're, the, the orangutans are on the other side of uh, double-pane plexi, or it's, a, it's another material, but basically that. So really tough to photograph without glare. But I was able to do it using some techniques with, with, with strobes off to the side. And, and I was just so blown away by the way, the orangutans were completely aware of what I was doing. I know this sounds crazy, but like one of them signaled for me to turn a camera around so he could see himself on the what? back of the camera. Oh, it's what? true. What? That's insane. No, it's true. And I know I like to joke around, but that's actually <laughs> That's true. crazy. Do you want to show? You have the book oh, yeah. right here. Yeah, please. Do you want to show some pictures? Christian's yeah, yeah, got yeah. some pulled up on oh, the good. Yeah, that's the some from well. the, uh, yeah. So this is just what, what I do is, is with Blurb, uh, I make a, just a quick dummy uh, just so I can show around. So I'm going uh, to Washington uh, next week. Uh, I'm actually in an exhibition there, but I'm also going to um, meet with National Geographic, and I want to show some images. So this is a blurb, which I would highly recommend for people whenever they do any trip or whatever, you know, document it and put it out. Now, I, I put a little bit of text uh, in there to go along with it, an intro, so in case uh, I'm not around and I leave it there, somebody could read a about it, but I didn't try to design it as a book. Gotcha. I, I don't want anybody to misunderstand and say, oh, okay, if, if he wants to do this as a book project and then he's trying to design it, that's not the goal at all. It's strictly just to have as a catalog. Uh, and so, yeah, here are some of the the images. I still wanted to do a very clean presentation, but the basic thing is let somebody, let an editor look at the images and say, okay, I get it. I see what Mark wants to do. And then if you see... Uh, at the beginning, I did set it up just with a, you know, the, the quick, um, you know, title and then just a two-page, you know, intro. Yeah. And that's it. Just people get what I'm doing. And actually, if you see my other books, like the North Korea book or, or you can show the Japanese yeah, bath absolutely. book. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're getting all um, this stuff. Yeah. So the Japanese bath book, I do the same way. I let the photos do the talking. Uh, basically, it's... The book, uh, two-page intro. I do have captions there because I do want people to be able to go to these different hot springs, you know, so they can go throughout the book and and say, oh, okay, here's, um, you know, Katsura. Oh, oh, so you also asked me, you know, how was I able to do this? Uh, now, so when I was with my uh, wife or, or, or uh, girl I'm going out with 
now as Japanese, you, you know, they obviously, you know, if I'm photographing them, that's not a a, a problem. Yeah. Um, but also I've, I've worked for many years studying Japanese. And so when I was just on, on, on the men's side, you know, and I didn't have, you know, Mika or, or Sachiko or, or my other friends there, I could say, uh, you know, and say this whole, you know, thing about what I was doing. And then, you know, would you mind if I take a photo? And, and, and people were very cool with it. Because basically, you know, back to, to how we started off, I had one, in the beginning at least, uh, film camera with a 28 millimeter lens, just a very simple setup. So it wasn't like I had this big, you know, photo gear on or anything like that. I really <laughs> had nothing. And, and so it wasn't intimidating. Got you. Uh, and I didn't try to sneak photos. I would just do it. I, and, but I wouldn't set things up either. I, wa- I wanted to ca- capture the reality of what was going on. Uh, That's a balance. It's like it's a fine a balancing balance. Act. Balancing act. Yeah. And so uh, it, it, it's worked out well, but I think part of it is because I happen to just, you know, love the the subject as, as well. And that's why now it's it's gone on for three decades, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's it, again, you know, it was, it was the first book that I saw that introduced me to your work and it's just yeah. incredible. So like, you know, you're, you're, what's the, what's the balance between asking someone, Hey, can I take your photo versus like just sneaking a photo? Cause I remember you said never sneak a photo, but like what, and, and what if you go up to someone and it's like the most beautiful photo, you're like, Hey, can I take your photos? It's going to be awesome. And they're like, nah. And you're like, ah, oh, now I can't take the photo. Or, yeah. or like, what if you go up to them and you're like, Hey, I'm what if you what if you aren't a professional photographer yeah. and you aren't doing a photo book and you're like, hey, can I take a picture for my Instagram? You know, like that doesn't really sound that great. Yeah. So what what do you recommend in those situations? Uh, bribery. Really? But but if that doesn't work, no. <laughs> the, the, the key is, um, you know, there are times 100 percent where you're shooting, and and so when I said about not sneaking a shot, uh. Many, 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 many times I'm shooting and not asking permission. Okay. In other words, okay. because if if you uh, once you ask permission or do something, you're changing the the thing that you're seeing that attracted your eye in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you're doing a portrait, and I really was talking more in terms of portraits, gotcha. Um, because portraits, I I want that that human interaction. I love that that concept of the eyes are the window to the soul. Now sometimes. I'll shoot tight and go for that sort of shot, like with the orangutan. Sometimes I'll pull back, like the cover of the North Korea shot. Um, and, and you'll see in that shot, that's an environmental portrait. So so it's a portrait of a person in an environment that relates to them. Uh, she was not thrilled about me shooting, but oh, I really man. wanted this shot. So did you, did you ask her? Well, at that time, you know, I've studied now Korean for years. This was in 2008. Um, I did not ask permission, and I technically wasn't supposed to be there either in that area. Oof. But um, I really wanted that that shot. Um, That's what I'm saying. You just she, go but she for was it. busy yeah. directing traffic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and at that time, there weren't that many cars, but enough to keep her occupied. Uh, so I was able to to sort of shoot and then um, get back to where I was supposed to be. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so, so there are times where we, and especially the journalists that are working now. You, they, of course, they, they, you can't ask permission, you know, for everything. So, so, so that really does relate more to portraiture. And and what what happens, and I see a lot of people are kind of shy, and so you know they'll go. Case in point, last year I was in India, and a couple of people I was traveling with, they had long 
lenses and we're in a village and they're like shooting these people, treating them as objects, mm. you know, with a long lens. I said, well, why don't you just walk over and say hello? You know, because look, we, you know, we're Gaijin, Guaylo, you know, Yangwe, um, you know, whatever you want to call us. Yeah, the foreigner you know, coming the into foreigner, their country. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, they they see they see us. So so why not? Uh, you know, don't be that that tourist shooting from distance. You know, make some human contact, mm-hmm. and and almost always. Both sides are going to gain from that experience. Nobody wants to be treated as as an object and be photographed with a two hundred millimeter lens from from across the street. And That's then, creepy. That's just creepy. Yeah. Well, but but and I, when I teach workshops, students say, "Oh, but I I I don't want to disturb them. I want to catch them." I say, "Oh, come on! Like they don't see you there." <laughs> and then eventually, I get the people to admit that they're just kind of shy. Yeah. From doing it. Because that's my thing. That's my thing. I'm 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 shy. I don't want to yeah. come up to someone and be like, "Hey, can I take your picture?" And be like, "No, nah, man, get out of here." It's like, yeah. oh, okay. well, that can happen. Yeah. Uh, there's a shot I did in, in Spain of these three women sitting on a bench, and, and they all sort of put their hands up. And actually, it's funny because it looked like the see no evil monkeys. Like one had their hands over their, you know, eyes, you know, ears, whatever. And, and uh, it's sort of funny that that. That happened to work out, and I thought, "Wow, what are they getting so uptight about?" And it turned out to be a really strong image. But, it but, is but, an amazing image. Thank you. But, yeah. but basically, you know, interact with people. I mean, what an amazing opportunity for those who have a chance to travel, uh, to get out and interface. And yes, you will run across people that don't want their picture taken, and they have a right not to have their shot, you know, done. So, mm-hmm. so that's okay. So, so, but don't take it personally. Just like, okay, you know, that's fine. Now, sometimes people will be a little shy and they're like, oh, no, no, no. You know, but, but you can also, you know, read that. Because it's and, playful a little bit. Yeah, there's some hint that it's like, oh, come on, just, you know, one. Or, and, and then you can do it. And then you, you created this, you know, human, you know, person-to-person exchange, mm-hmm. which is really fantastic. We, we should not be traveling the world in a bubble. We really need to, to interface. Uh, and I think you see that in a, a lot of tours and stuff, right? People go from one place to another and it's like they're, they're at an aquarium looking in at the different culture, but they're not mm. immersing in that culture. And, 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 you know, the excuse can be, oh, I don't speak the language. I don't do this or that. It's like, but those are excuses. Got to break through that. So what do you do to break through that when you travel? Well, first, I, I do actually try to learn some, some words in whatever the local language is. And yeah. I, I've put a lot of time in, you know, studying, you know, Japanese and, and Korean and now more recently, um, Chinese Mandarin, because I'm actually, uh, for the second year in a row, teaching a workshop in Shanghai. That's awesome. And, and we had an amazing time. Last year was with Nick Ood, and then uh, this year was Sandro Miller, who, if, you, if uh, your listeners don't know him uh, or followers don't know him, he's an amazing, amazing portraitist. And he has an, a fantastic backstory where he had cancer, and he didn't know if he was going to survive or not. And he d- decided to do this homage to all the photographers that he loved and that motivated him in his career. And so he worked with John Malkovich. Uh, and John played different parts in all these historic photos. But like oh, wow. Margaret Brooke White. It's a fantastic series. So you guys have to check that out for sure. But but so so um, Sandra and I are going to teach together this year in August in Shanghai. And so even though uh, the students are fantastic and some of them speak English, um, and we have a translator there. Uh, I want to have a little more uh, direct uh, 
you know, contact to not, you know, rely so much on the, um, on the translator. Uh, but I, and I felt no distance at all from the students last time uh, with it, with a language barrier. I mean, sure. it really are so much, you know, nonverbal communication that we can do. I mean, you know, you get onto an airplane and you hear, you know, the endless, you know, thing about, well, I shouldn't say the, the safety things. Those are important to hear. But I mean, all these announcements. <laughs> don't listen to them anyway. Yeah. And, 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 and you hear that on a train or whatever. And you realize that so much stuff you really don't have to, to hear. Mm. You know, that, that to really communicate, there's just some basic things we need. And so, you know, when I worked, I did a book in Iran in 2007. I went twice. So, so I studied Farsi for a while. Wow. Um, so, so. You, you can't speak every language. For, uh, now, you know, I've been in 98 countries. You can't speak every language. But if you pick up a few words, you could at least start, you know, a little dialogue. You know, you say, hello, thank you. You know, those sort of things. And, and it, at the very least, especially with my accent, I'll get a good laugh <laughs> from the, the reaction from people. But it's appreciated. And I think that's, that's probably the first part of, 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 you know, breaking the ice with people. Yeah. Just, you know, whether you say ni hao or, you know, ni hao or, or uh, Konnichiwa or, or uh, whatever, you know, it's great. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And because then you put in the effort to learn their language and they're like, oh, hey, that's it's, cool. It's a, that's nice. It's appreciated. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, if, if you have a tourist from China come over here and they say howdy, it's like, well, I don't know if, if that's the English you should be <laughs> learning, but that's okay. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be a good time if they, if, if someone came up to me and said, howdy, I would laugh. Wouldn't you love that? See, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Yeah. I'd get into a selfie with them in a second. (laughs) Absolutely. But usually they just hand me the camera and say, oh, could you take a picture of me with Sammy or, you know, another one of my friends? It's Mm -hmm. like, I said, oh, you don't want me in your picture? (laughs) Wow. Okay, fine. All right. So you learn the language. Yeah. Um, Are you staying in Airbnbs when you go to these 98 countries or are you staying in people's houses that you, a friend of a friend uh, kind of thing, or, you know, that's a great question because that, that is actually an aspect for me where where I do have a bit of shyness. I I really prefer my own space. Yeah. And so I'd rather stay at a place that's not that expensive or whatever and have my own room uh, rather than sharing a nicer place with somebody else, unless I could have my own room there as well. I really do need my sort of my own time and space a little bit. And so, I'm pretty, uh, you know, easygoing. Uh, I just had an amazing trip in Jordan. And so, and we spent one night, uh, you know, camping and just like sort of a, a pup tent kind of thing. And then um, then two nights in a Bedouin camp, uh, which was just fantastic. And and that was fairly basic. I mean, they have really high-end ones, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Bedouin camps like in Wadi Rum. Uh, we stayed sort of an in-between one, but wow, what a, what a great night. Um you know, each night to see the stars, you know, to go out. And, and, and so I can have just the basic comforts, you, you know, and, 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 and be happy there. The key mm. thing there, I was traveling with, with other journalists and the camaraderie was fantastic. And a friend of mine, uh, Jake, who's a, a whiskey expert, brought a whole bar with him. And so that made the That's night great. kind that of makes warmer. That spiced it up a little bit. That spiced it up a lot. Yeah. So what, what was it like in North Korea? How was that? I mean, how many times have you been to North Korea? Uh, I've been to North Korea 10 times. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it, it's very, uh, the, the, the danger about me speaking about North Korea a little bit is, is because if I don't do the automatic, oh, it's the worst place in the world, da, 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 da. You know, people think, oh, you know, you're sympathizing or this or that. But, you know, I've been to a lot of rough places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, if, if you're North Korean 
and you speak out against the government, you're going to disappear and your family can disappear. So there's horrible Man. things there. But but daily life there is much more vibrant uh, th- than people realize. They're, they're not a bunch of robots just, just you know, going around, uh, you know, surviving. You know, in, in the 90s when, when they had, uh, you know, the horrible, you know, flooding, uh, people were desperate there. Uh, and so th- there were mass migrations, you know, into China, people trying, you know, you know, out of, you know, the need just to eat. Uh, now that, you know, once they moved into the 2000s, things got easier to a, a degree. Uh, you know, of course, you know, it's very serious political things. I mean, obviously, as we see, I actually, uh, even though I'm not a big fan of of, um, of so many of the things that, that the president's doing, Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've got to say, I'm glad he's talking to uh, uh, Kim Jong-un. I mean, why not? I mean, th- th- you know, the armistice was signed in 1953. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been in a technical state of war uh, since then. I mean, the war started in 1950. Uh, so now we're going on 70 years uh, and, and, and not speaking directly hasn't worked. So why not? My, I, I, so I think that's, uh, you know, a good thing. Whether, uh, I mean... You know, things will work out or not. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I do think dialogue is the best way to go. That and, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather be talking than just like stirring up in each other's, you know, in like opposite corners. Yeah. Well, look what's happening with Iran now. I mean, the you know, the, the you know, the war drums are beating. Mm. And, and who knows if we'll wake up, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, you know, we're in a shooting war. I mean, these things are very complicated. We had a deal in place that was done under the Obama administration. And, and, and maybe it wasn't the perfect deal or whatever, but people were working together and that's the way to do things. It's mm-hmm. a very complicated uh, situation and, yeah. and people die. And, and it's, it's, it's amazing that often the people that um, have not been in a war zone, uh, you know, or, or put on a uniform are, are, are the ones that are sending other people to fight, you know, and, yeah. and that's yeah. uh, that's pretty pathetic. I, I've got you know that's a very dangerous thing because because uh, Condoleezza Rice uh, you know said something like uh, about you know getting rid of Saddam. It was worth the sacrifice. It, it was not for her to say. That was I think. It, I mean, she didn't lose. Mm. It was you know she wasn't there. She she didn't lose family members. Yeah, it's it's only the family members of people who died there who I think can say on a personal level whether it was worth the sacrifice. That makes sense. You know? Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, just... Um, uh, yes, that's that's complicated stuff. It, it, all this stuff is, is complicated. Uh, you know, we, we were enemies with Japan until 1945, and now we're best friends. And, and uh, you know, South Korea uh, and North Korea, uh, you know, were, were divided. Actually, uh, they were annexed by Japan in 1910. Uh, there's a very complicated history. And, and, and Korea, the peninsula, uh, the, the whole peninsula was the Hermit Kingdom. It was not North Korea. Now in the news, we hear the simplistic stuff. Oh, the Hermit Kingdom, Hermit Kingdom. Mm-hmm. But all of Korea wanted to hide from the West because they saw what was going on in the 1800s with, with the opium wars, you know, with the British shoving opium down the throats of, of uh, the Chinese. And, and so you have to look back at this and stuff and, and say, how did we get here mm. in the first place? And when when you you look at that, I mean, w- when we talk about us 
you know, regime change. What that, that's a great concept, right? Uh, well, we did that in Iran in the 1950s, and, and we basically installed the Shah. Well, you know, how does that, you know, make the people feel there? Not you yeah. know, saying oh, the Ayatollah, all this, you know, yeah, you know. Uh, I'm no big fan of the Ayatollah back, you know, back when he, when Khomeini came back from Paris. But but you have to look at the bigger picture, you know, instead of just like catching this one thing and say, oh, they're evil. You know, just like that whole axis of evil, yeah. you know, speech. That yeah. worked out well. It's, I mean, people, I think people are ready to get worked up and people are ready to get upset yeah. about stuff. And, you know, I, I, maybe it's a combination of, um, it's a combination of like, people not being happy with themselves, you know, maybe people wanting to just kind of like, uh, put their, put their feelings out into something else. Just mm-hmm. any reason to get upset, you know, project stuff out. I wonder, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, or, or to like maybe go with the popular, like, I mean, it also, it also is, you know, what the media tells you and kind of oh, what they're sure. trying Definitely. to, when we were talking, we were talking in the coffee shop about how, um, you, you were saying how like war, um, journalists, war photographers, they have the ability to like the, the government has the ability to, if, if, if you take a picture, if you put something out that they don't like, then you're gone, you know, kind of thing. And that's the, that changes the the freedom of, of, of speech. Of the press. Of press. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that really is a manifestation um, that grew out of Vietnam where, where the journalists had free access there. And they were putting out things that really turned the public against the war, especially as, as you know, we were talking about my friend Nick Ood, who did the picture of the little girl hit by napalm, you know, Kim Fook in, in June 8th, 1972. Uh, that was sort of the death knell. But also uh, Eddie Adams shot uh, of, uh, of the assassination on the streets uh, of Saigon during the Tet Offense of 1968 or the mm-hmm. burning of the monk. Yeah, wow. Right. And so, so you look at those photos and it's like you start to see that and think, why are we over there? doing this, you know, and so by the time we got to Nick's shot in 72, the war was sort of obviously going toward, toward a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the death knell. But, but, but the, the military learned from that and said, we can't give uh, journalists free reign. And so now, uh, you know, you have to be embedded. Things are much more controlled because they want to send out you know, a, a certain message. And that is dangerous. Yeah. Uh, now, Edward Steichen, we go back to World War II, he formed a team of photographers thinking that if we showed the way war really was, uh, that nobody would have the appetite for it. That didn't work, obviously. Uh, there's a great book, because you and I, I, I know you're a huge reader, uh, but The Lessons of History by Will and Ariel Durant, um, after they did The Lessons uh, or History of Civilization, he wrote the lessons of history and it's only like 140, 150 pages. And in it, they talk about that in the 5,000 years of, of written history, uh, there's only been like 150 years or something where there's been no war. That, mm. And so they came to the conclusion that this is how uh, humans settle problems. Now, up until a hundred years ago, we didn't have the ability to have mass destruction. Of course, like with the Gatling gun, yeah. Invented, mm-hmm. you know, then all of a sudden, yes, you did have that. And then all of a sudden, World War One, you start to see just the gas know, and everything, everything else. Right. Yeah. But and, and so these days uh, there is that, you know, that whole concept of mad, you know, mutually assured destruction. It's probably keeping us from doing 
things. Yeah, it probably is for the best, I guess, right? Everyone makes sure is every, keeping everyone kind of, you know, for keeping people from from uh, doing something they would regret. They would change the course of humanity oh, permanently. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. It's a scary it's a scary thing. Yeah. It's a really scary thing. Hopefully hopefully nothing happens. Um Yeah. We can we can only hope. But so yeah. go, 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 going going back to North Korea, you're yeah. saying it's a good thing that they're talking and it's Definitely. also and and you felt that your your time there made it feel like the people there, you know, it's not as bad as the Well, there's much more of a dynamic uh daily life uh, than than we see because I mean they don't help themselves with the propaganda they put out like you know whenever you see images that they're putting out you know Kim Jong Un is at a launch of this or a launch of that mm-hmm. uh, you know or you see the soldiers goose stepping which is never a, a pleasant thing to see but you know when you're there on the streets and you're seeing kids laughing and and, and walking to school and, and and by themselves I mean you see little kids. Without fear that that you know something's going to happen to them on the way to or from school, uh, you know they're out playing soccer in the field. I mean, there's all this stuff that's not sort of sexy in terms of you know reportage. You know, people yeah. often I see uh, you know other photographers, writers, they sort of parachute in and, and they 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 cover something and they want to dramatize it like, oh, I was in you know. North Korea and it's so evil and this and that. Of course, yeah, as I said, there are huge issues there. But if you really take the time and look at daily life, you know, there's a lot of issues. I mean, you know, we drive down here and you go down 6th Street or something around 6th and Gladys and stuff. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of people living on the street here. Yeah. And to walk down there, um, my friend Samantha, who's with us today, you know, worked down there because she works with the psychological things. It's like all these people are dumped out on the street. You're talking like Skid Row area. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's crazy down there. Yeah. I mean, to call it a row is not enough. It's it's more like it's the size of a city. City block. Yeah. There. It's or a whole working of tents and carts. and Unbelievable. It's crazy. It's really sad. I, I, my dad, he's from, uh, from Atlanta. And uh, he came down to visit. And I was like, hey, we're really close to Skid Row. Do you want to see it? And he's like, Skid Row. Yeah. Uh, what's, what's Skid Row? I was yeah. Like, oh. Oh, well, let me show you. And he's like, wow, this is insane. It's right insane. Because like you pull up to a red light and there's people just in the street, you know, um, uh, like, uh, man, I'm, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, wheelchairs. Right? Oh, there's and, wheelchairs and, and crutches and everything. Oh, and they're, it's, it's super sad. People with severe, obviously major mental illness. We saw that the other day, you know, somebody crossing the street. And I felt so bad for her that obviously she was in pain, suffering from some huge, horrible mental thing, but they're dumped on the street. And so we really have to look in first before we try to fix the rest of the world. doesn't mean we can ignore the rest of the world, but we really have to look and, and see the serious issues here. And, it, and, and so, you know, maybe um, sometimes wars and things are used as, you know, I mean, you, you talk about, I mean, just to bounce around a bit, like some people said, like the, the Falklands War or the Marvenas or whatever, um, between Argentina and Great Britain, mm. uh, that that Argentina was having some huge economic issues. Even though, if you look at a map, and it's like, well, why aren't those islands part of, you mm. know, Argentina? But the war happened at a certain time that it was popular for uh, the head of Argentina to go after to try to get the islands back because they were having a bad time economically. So, so you do have to look at motivations and things. You know, why are we getting all trumped up about Iran right now? Mm. 
you know? So it's, you you seem to know a whole lot about history. Yeah. So are you are you have your finger on the dial? Are you 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 keeping keeping um just keeping up on everything essentially every day? Is that a way you, you find your stories? If you find something, if you know something's gonna go down in a place, you do you go to that place? Is that like how do you choose um where you go? Yep. Um do you go there for leisure or do you go there for a story? That's, um, a, that's a great question. Well, I mean, first of all, it goes back to uh, so my degrees, my my bachelor's is in history, and my master's is a special major from Cal State LA. So I'm, you know, I'm born in New York, grew up in San Francisco, but basically my schooling's all out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my master's is a special major combining history and and photography to do documentary work. They allowed me at Cal State LA to make my own major. What? Which is amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Major is cool. And so my uh, master's thesis is on Boston's historic sites and the interpretation methods they use. And so obviously, so I have a big interest in history. And so uh, I think I've got a good overall sense. I I don't necessarily, I I don't wake up every morning and and, and read, you know, all the papers, uh, you know, in depth, but I do try to be aware of what's going on, especially in areas that I'm focused on, like North Korea, Iran, uh, I was in Iraq two years ago. What was it? A year and a half ago. Um, and so I do try to keep up on on current things. And I do, as, as you said, look for stories. And as a, a professional uh, travel documentary photographer, writer, uh, I do have to look in advance for stories in order to to get them out. Because if you're, if you're doing print work, you have to always look at the lead time. And so when we were coming up on the anniversary of D-Day, um, I had to make sure. So that was June 6, 1944, right? Mm. And so before we're coming up to 2014, uh, I started pitching around stories. And I got over to France and I walked the D-Day beaches in 2013. Wow. So I could get the material together and out to the magazines so it could run in advance of that. So, so a lot of times, yeah, I do look at, uh, at dates and what's coming up. So uh, so after the tsunami in Japan, because I do love Japan and I feel very, you know, cl- close to the country and its people. Uh, soon after the, the tsunami happened in 2011, I went over there. Didn't have an assignment from anybody, but I just felt I want to document yeah. uh, what's going on. And so I did that. That that turned out, it ended up with Vanity Fair running a piece, you know, with the stuff. I went back five years later. Actually, for North Korea, I went with Pico Iyer, who's an amazing writer. Actually, he went ahead of me. Uh, we did something on the cinema there, mm. uh, which was very interesting. So, so always looking for hooks. That 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 that's the key. But but sometimes it's just unmotivated. As with the tsunami, it just felt right. But then when we were coming up on a five year anniversary, I pitched it. I made another blurb book. I sent it to uh, my editor at Vanity Fair. I said I really want to do something on this. Uh, and they, they looked at the, the book, you know, just photos, as I said, just a catalog. And they said, yeah, okay, this makes sense. And so I did that. And now we're coming up on the 10-year anniversary. And so I've got to start pitching now. And that's how it works, just like we have the Tokyo Olympics coming up. Yes. So this is a prime time to generate uh, stories about Tokyo, not just specifically sports-oriented, but people are going to be focused on Japan. What are good day trips out of the city? Things like that. So you always have to... Th- you know, think ahead, especially for print publications. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, what would you say to to a young kid or someone just just starting up? 
again, going back to Instagram, because I think Instagram is the most accessible way to post photos right now. For sure. Um, everyone can do it. Yeah. Um, you know, what would you say to, to someone like that who wants to take photography seriously and they're seeing all these these places they want to travel right but they don't have the money or yeah. they don't have the time they're working a job um you know or they, they can't just buy a plane ticket to go out and cover some crazy dangerous place um you know what would you say someone like that who's trying to get to the point where you're at right now well i mean i could i could give a shameless plug for um uh, my book, the Let's travel photo essay. Okay, the travel photo essay. Yeah, yeah. I, I do talk in detail uh, about that here. Now I, I'm a, and this is my first, you know, how to book, and so I, I go into a lot of detail about that. But um, the, it, it's a different world now. When I started, it was all it was, uh, uh, you know, magazines. It was all print or or TV or or or, or radio. Uh, now. Uh, a lot of PR people, uh, they're the ones to, to get to be friends with. Um, they are looking for influencers mm -hmm. to get out. Now, I'm very late to, to Instagram. Because I was doing all the work in Iran and Iraq and North Korea, um, or actually I really should just say North Korea um, and Iran, uh, Iraq came later, uh, I hid completely from social media. I didn't want to be sort of above you know, too much uh, in in a way that would interfere if the, um, if North Korea saw too much stuff out in like social media comments and all this that could hurt my ability to go there. Oh, so okay, I got so, you. So I wanted to be below the line, sort of thing. But then one of my sponsors uh, insisted that I have a social media presence, and so uh, over Thai food, I thought, okay, yeah, th this is um, I, I I can do this. I can do the Instagram thing, and so I started that. And so Mark Edward Harris photo. There's another. Shameless plug, Absolutely. but um, yeah, because now I, I do recognize the importance of it and that I have to get those numbers up. Um, but I would say, uh, so for the book, I did interview some people that have great followers and ask them uh, because that, that was not my area of expertise, but I wanted to, to know it, uh, oh, awesome. you know, for my readers. And, and so they say, stay focused. Uh, and so the, uh, 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 you know, one guy specifically has pictures of himself with animals that are smiling and he's always in a shot. And it's really funny. And people enjoy waking up and seeing, seeing that. And, mm -hmm. and so uh, there's people that focus on food. Uh, the one thing you don't want to do, and sometimes I see this with great photographers, they're all over the place. Sure. Uh, now I do wear a lot of hats. And so mine might be a little bit more over all over the place than others, but at least, and this was some advice uh, that I was given at least then try to run maybe three photos in a row of something. So yeah. it's just not too arbitrary. Uh, you don't want to confuse uh, people that are following you. That makes sense. A and so, you know, you know, I was in India sort of, um, I was generating print stories on Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. So I went to Madhra Pradesh, which is this fantastic area where they have a lot of tiger reserves. And I photographed that. And so I, I ran some photos from that on the Instagram. And then, of course, in the magazines, you know, they ran that as a solid story. Yeah. And so then I had a few photos from there then uh, to the next thing. Uh, so, so the key is uh, there are conferences. If you're a big adventure traveler, there's uh, the ATTA, which is Adventure Travel Trade Association. Uh, there's TBEX, which is a big bloggers uh, conference. Uh, those things are great to go 
to, because then you'll, you'll, you know, hear from these influencers that are traveling the world, but, but always have a hook. So it's the same thing, you know, just like, you know, for a print publication and you're doing a story, you know, find a niche. Uh, somebody I follow, you know, is, is a, a young woman uh, in Japan. And, uh, I don't know if she's Australian or, or, or American, uh, but sort of her adventures are around Japan. Mm. Uh, there's somebody uh, that actually just has their onsen cam and they go, they find all these onsen photos. They're not doing it the same as me, you know, with, with people in the shots or whatever, but they're discovering That's good though. these yeah. great hot springs. And, and so I'm learning from it. I, I And also for photographers, uh, you know, Instagram is fantastic because we live in such a vacuum, you know, all the, these freelance people. And so you mm. get to see um, all these interesting people all over the world doing, you know, things. Uh, there's a guy named uh, Joey L., Joey Lawrence, who's a great photographer. He's fascinating to follow. And he was really one of the first people that I saw that that used it so well. Uh, a couple of people that I have to highlight for sure on Instagram, um, uh, Paul Nicklin. Oh yeah, uh, he's great. He's, I mean, he's got every time I look, every time I say, "Oh, he's got over four million, he's got then over five million. And I say, "Oh, he's got over five million now. He's over five three. I mean, by the time Man. we finish this, he's going to be at six or something. Oh, he's unbelievable. There he is. So five point four. Look at that. He just went up. Come on, Paul, send a few this way. Come on. <laughs> but I, I so, so I know a lot of these guys also because I'm a contributing editor for a bunch of photo magazines, and so I did a Q and A with Paul about his uh, book, Born to Ice. And that's why I know Jimmy, you know, where I did it uh, for the August issue coming up is, is my cover feature on him uh, and him following Alex um, for free solo. That sounds cool. Yeah. And that then sounds cool. and also in that same issue is, is my Q&A with uh, Steve McCurry. And, and Steve's the one who did the picture of the Afghan girl with the green eyes. And then um, uh, Terry Verts, who's an astronaut who did amazing photography from the, from the space station. So, that's, yeah, that's great. So, so I, I'm constantly learning from, all, you know these other photographers that I have the opportunity to, uh, you know, meet. And, and actually my first book in 1998 was on photographers. And, and that came out of my Q and A's with photographers for, for photo magazines. Uh, uh, I ended up with, with Abbeville press doing a book of 20 of the photographers from that. And so, but that ties into my history. So, so even though I didn't necessarily have this clear game plan Early on, I really was lost, actually. So, so, so for you guys that are in, in school still or, and you're feeling lost or whatever, believe me, I, w- I was lost as well. But I kept moving forward. I think that was the key thing, that even though I didn't know exactly where I was going to go, I, I knew I had to keep uh, moving forward. And, and, and um, you know, there, there were definitely s- some years like, well, am I going to be able to you know, stay on course, you know, this and that? Because especially in a freelance world. It's not easy, you know, and I also was fortunate. My first real regular gig was with the Merv Griffin show, which was a TV show years ago. And that gave me a good base. And then I assisted uh, for a number of years as a photographer. And that was great for a base. So Mm -hmm. for those people who want to be professional photographers, I would definitely recommend assisting uh, another photographer. You know, you you learn, you you know, how to if, if you're more of a studio person, you want to do lighting or whatever. What a great way to learn. Because we are in a sort of a vacuum, but following. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw out another name: Art Stryber, great photographer based in L.A. He's very giving on his Instagram um, uh, in terms of showing his lighting setups. That's cool, and and and, and so it's fantastic. Uh, Nick Knight, I think, has a whole bunch of uh, things where you can see, uh, you know, 
Nick, how he does things. We have these master classes now, you know, that you can do in Annie, you know, Leibowitz. Mm-hmm. So actually yeah. I, I just posted her, my portrait of her yesterday on my Instagram. I saw it. That's awesome. Uh, did you see that? Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. No, she's great. I know she gets some flack, you know, a little bit, but she's strong. I mean, she, which is great. You know, she's got a clear vision, you know, and, uh, she, you know, she's, she's, Famous for notorious, you know, for being tough on assistants that, hey, you know, don't work for her. Yeah. If you're not tough enough, then exactly. step down. It, it, yeah. You can't handle it. You want to be in the arena? Yeah. Then, then, let's go. Uh, let's go. I, I, I love it. Good. You, but you come out of there, you're going to be stronger for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people, people got to go through some stuff, man. You got to go through some fire, challenge yeah, yourself. Yeah, that's excellent that you said that because it's really true. And you did it too. I mean, you came from Atlanta here. I mean, you, you, uh, you're your own personal story about you coming out here. You, you, you took chances. And, and yeah. I think anybody who's successful, and that's part of the reason I, I love the Q and A's with all these photographers. And that's, I've also done it with, with, with people in other fields. Uh, there's sort of a common thread you know, determination and, and strength and, and taking chances, you know, and, 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 and you got to go for it. And, and, you know, you can't be, you know, overly, you know, careless or this or that, but you have to realize that you've got to put in the time and work. Um, you know, I do teach classes sometimes uh, when I was doing more like sort of college classes and, and there were a lot of students who just thought, oh, this is fun. You just go around, you take pictures, but they're not learning F-stops and shutter speeds and all that. Well, you know, would you want to go to a, a doctor that, you know, says, oh, give me that sharp thing over there. <laughs> you know, come on. In other words, we, we're not normally in a life or death situation, but um, you have to know your stuff. In fact, a, a photo that's on the current issue, uh, the cover of the current issue of Digital Photo Magazine of these, uh, and I just stuck it on my um, Instagram, is of this kid jumping uh, in Petra uh, between rocks. And, and, uh, but I was set up on a tripod shooting a, 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 a long, slow exposure because I wanted to blur the people in the foreground. Um, and, and so, oh, there it is right there. Great. Yeah. And, and, and so I wanted to, uh, you know, sh- get the people in the foreground blurred with a slow exposure. But all of a sudden I saw this kid sitting on the left and I could see that he was going to jump mm. across. And so immediately I, you know, from, I went from ISO 100 to 800. And I'm not going to test you here, even though you just took my class. But, but how many more steps is that? So 100 to 200 is one. Mm-hmm. 200 to 400 is two. 400 to 800, that's three stops. So by all of a sudden going to 800 ISO, I could get up to a thousandth of a second. And also I had been shooting at F22, but I opened up to 5.6 because I, I wanted to get to that thousandth of a second uh, in order to freeze the, the action. And I very quickly also put the camera on motor drive. Now... If I didn't know my stuff, that would have taken, you know, and I couldn't just t- shoot a frame as a test. I mean, this kid was gone in a second. Yeah. In other words, this all happened in a split second, and I got the shot. And as Cartier-Bresson would, would call this, uh, who's a legendary photographer who I had the pleasure to know, the decisive moment. You don't want to shoot the indecisive moment. You don't want to shoot the, the decisive moment plus one or minus one. You got to hit it. And and the way you do it is by knowing your stuff. And so for so advice, so so a long answer to a short question. Advice would be really know your stuff, study, get into a wet dark room if you can. You know, and and I love this whole retro thing that a lot of people are doing. Uh, you know, is shooting film. It's fun. Yeah, I haven't touched a, a roll of film in like twelve, fourteen years or whatever. Wow! But well, since two thousand five, but. 
that's, but I grew up shooting film and I was in a dark room processing it. And I know F stops and shutter speeds because of it. And yeah. so I see anybody who wants to do that now, use it as a tool. It's fantastic. You, but then get into the wet dark room with your negatives. Just don't send it off somewhere and have it processed. I mean, okay, you can have the film processed, but then get into a wet dark room, stick that negative in a negative carrier and an enlarger and make a print. And then you'll see, you know, you're adjusting the F stops, uh, you know, and you're, and you're not turning the light on because you can't have a, a, a light on when you're in the dark room. You have a red light if it's yeah. black and white. And, and you're, you're feeling, okay, 16, 11, 8, 5, 6. And, and, and you just know, okay, those are one stops. That will make you a much better photographer when you feel that. So do your homework. That That is the key. Keep a notebook also, I think. And, and a, lot, a lot of students they keep note, notes on their phone. That's that's fine. But I think when you commit it to a physical Mm. Book. If you just carry a little notebook with you and maybe put thumbnail pictures in, and and if you're doing lighting, draw out schematics. That's what I did when I was assisting, you know. And I I I can't draw at all, so I do stick figures. But mm -hmm. I, I was able then to repeat the lighting scenarios that we did. I knew color temperatures. You know, it doesn't sound sexy. It's like, ooh, you know, are you shooting at 5,600 or 5,200 Kelvin? But that's what you have to know because that's the craft, right? That's, that's the craft. And and knowing composition, lighting, yeah. all this, and the technical side, that's all the craft stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe once you get that down, then you can mix it with the intuition. Oh, 100%. And that's automatic. But, I mean, look, look what you have here. I mean, you know, the sound quality is fantastic. The lighting is nice and balanced. The way we have these lights, you know, set up. The the uh, the way Christian is, like, you know, bringing up images right away. It didn't start like this. It yeah, but, but you grew to it. Yeah. But you know your craft. That's the key. Mm. And so no matter what you do, know your craft. And don't think, oh, I'm just going to shoot a bunch of pretty pictures of myself. Here I am, here, here I am, here. How, how long is that going to last, right? You've got to yeah. put in the time. That, that That's probably the best advice. And then also then look for, for niches, but also look to yourself and say, what advantage do I have over other people? That's so good too. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what do you, what's, what's your special angle on this thing? Yeah. Because we all have something, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think because of my interest in learning languages and stuff, the Japanese, uh, definitely learning the language to a decent degree enabled me to work in, in the hot springs. They sort of, you know, work together. So cool. My interest in history obviously helped, you know, for North Korea and, um, you know, and then Iraq last year. And of course, at Iraq, I worked with an amazing writer named Tim Neville. And so, of course, when you team up with people like that's great. Um, but look to yourself first before you start looking out and say, you know, do you speak a language? Uh, do you have some special skills? You know, if you're a musician, maybe, but, you know, you still want to do photography. Well, if you really speak the, the language of your music, maybe there's some things you could, you know, go in. So, mm -hmm. so always look for that niche. Maybe, you know, whatever descent you're from, you know, you could look into your family history and maybe do something. Uh, there's a guy named um, Paul uh, Kitagaki who just did a book about the internment camps uh, in World during World War II when Japanese Americans were interned here. Mm. And so he did an amazing uh, book about his family's experiences. And he went to Whoa. the National Archives in D.C., found photos by Dorothea Lange, uh, that actually, I think it, it has his aunt what? in a shot. And so he shot these people. Oh, look at this. 
Because see, look at the skill that he can find this. This is live. This is not dropped in later, you guys. You see that? This is it right here. Yeah, Christian's on. He knows what's up. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but look at that. That is is how you. And then he talks about it. So you see the history background about 1942 and President um, Roosevelt. You know, with this executive order. This this is. See that story, so it's not a general thing. Yeah, it's and, very specific. Yeah, and and he and he shows the before and after shots too. In other Whoa. words, he shows. Oh. Okay, here are the people. Like he found three um, Boy Scouts that were saluting. You know, because in the internment camps they still had Boy Scouts and they had all this other stuff. So he found those same three Boy Scouts and then photographed them all these years Crazy. later. He found them. Those are all. Those photos are always super fascinating to the see. Before and after. Sort yeah, of like even of like like uh, you know the son with with his dad or the daughter and the mom together, and then like. And then you take it like yeah. they're a baby, and yeah. then you take it twenty years later where they're still holding them, you yeah. know, kind of thing, the same position. But, I love those. I, I, but I like those when they're in an environment. Though that's particularly interesting to me. In other words, let's say you know we were talking about Yosemite earlier. Yes. Let, let's say you stand at the exact same spot and you have Yosemite in the background, but you see that Yosemite is exactly the same, hmm. right? But but we've aged, and so it's sort of it's kind of an interesting thing too. It shows you how. You know, time how, takes and takes its toll on things or uh, on us, but, on but, us but it yeah. doesn't change. Of course, I mean, you know, somebody had some fire, so maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, difference in the trainer. But basically, I mean, just like when, you know, Ansel Adams shot Half Dome, it's still there. Yeah. Just yeah. like that. Uh, but yet we're long gone. And I'm fascinated by that sort of thing. Um, I actually stood at the same spot where, it, it, once again, here's the history thing. Uh, so I went to Little Bighorn for a, react, uh, a reenactment of, you know, when, when Colonel Custer, because he wasn't a general after mm-hmm. the Civil War. He, he went back to, he was a lieutenant colonel, I think. And so he, at Little Bighorn, you know, he was killed, right, uh, at, at the Battle of Little Bighorn. So I went to a reenactment there. And then I, I found out about the story about Comanche, which was uh, a horse by one of his other officers. Mm. Uh, he Comanche was the only survivor from the cavalry side of that battle, and a horse was 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 wounded. It was it was just uh, terrible. Look at this again. This guy is you're blowing me away with this stuff. But uh, and so see if you can find Comanche the horse. I'd love to see that. So, so Comanche survived, but he was wounded, and so they were going to dispatch him. Yeah, you know, which is a nice way to say they were going to put an end to the poor thing because he had been wounded so badly. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so, but they were able to to cart him back to to a uh, a fort. And so I went to this fort where, where where they brought him to, and they said no earthly rider will ride him again. And so I actually found a photograph of him, and then I went to the exact spot with the GPS coordinates. Right? Oh man! Yeah, and, and I stood exactly, and, and the mountain range was exactly the same. Wow! As that horse, you know, from eighteen seventy whatever. It's like. Wow, how amazing is that? And then last year, I, I, I went to upstate New York, uh, which was fantastic. Actually, I spoke at this TBEX thing you mm-hmm. know, that I was mm-hmm. mentioning. Uh, they had me speak to to influencers about photography. And so I went to Auburn, New York, to the grave of of the officer that had been writing Comanche when he was killed. Oh, man. Uh, uh, Colonel Kyo, I, I believe, I think his name was tough spelling on that. Oh, look at this! Once again, there it is. Is that amazing? 
Look at that. So you tracked down the story. You got the oh, yeah. specific story. You went. You got your your group of photos. Yeah. And what do you do with these photos? Well, I, I actually made a small print so I could actually carry the print with me, so I could actually cool. find the spot. Cool. And I think that that maybe then I had the you know the GPS. I don't I don't think the GPS was in advance. I think I had to sort of locate it mm. myself. Uh, and and then uh, I ended up writing a story uh, that that was part of something I, I did on. Um, uh, Edward Curtis, who who is a photographer who photographed, he did something called the North American Indian. Mm. So it was part of a bigger story about that. Uh, and so if you if you look at Edward Curtis and you look at any, uh, 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 he he documented a dying way of life, which fortunately has been brought back to some degree. But he was shooting the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and there he is uh, once again. Uh, but but Edward Curtis. Uh, now he would do some things that, that that you can't do these days in a documentary thing where like he sometimes would bring a headdress with him and so he, he would mix different tribes you know with with mm. different outfits yeah I see but but he would also so, you know things were much looser you know back then but still he did an, an amazing thing about documenting um you know a, a way of life because he saw what was coming on and then he did this book that now is one of, or a series of books called the North American Indian that is worth thousands and thousands of dollars now Whoa. yeah this series if you can get the original series of Whoa. that like they're tipped in images so beautifully done uh it's it's uh, look at this right here yep that's it that's cool isn't that magnificent that's look cool. at that now my birthday's coming up uh, Clint, so <laughs> bookmark it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at that right there. That that's magnificent. And so, if you read about if you read about how what he had to do in order to get the money together for that, but look how he looked for a specific thing that felt right for him, and then how yeah. he pursued it. So this is nothing new. You know, this is a, you know 120 years ago. Uh, well, the the book I think was 1920. So, but in other words, so 100 years ago. What he had to do. So nothing, nothing new. This is, this is, this is it's how reassuring. it works. It's yeah. reassuring. Consistency, be specific, yeah. you know, and just keep on your passion. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. Don't give up too soon. A lot of people, actually David Allen Harvey, he's somebody to follow as well. Uh, he, he has um, an online magazine. I think it's called Burn Magazine, but, but David uh, is a National Geographic guy and he's also with Magnum Photos. Uh, he gives a lot of great advice, and he says so many people give up um, too soon. They won't follow something through enough. Man, you that, really have to put it in. Yeah, look at this. Uh, I yeah. think everybody needs to hear that. It's very That's no matter great. what you do. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. far beyond photography, or, yeah. or it's everything in life. Absolutely, it goes to everything. Yeah. Everything, any any passion that anybody has, you know, like I'm. You know, my, my dream is to direct a feature. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, now it's like, oh, it seems like so much work. Like, I don't know if it's going to be possible. But then, like, hearing this advice is like, nah, just keep it up. Of course. Just keep it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, and also, you know, as they say, and here's, you know, I, I do have all these canned expressions in my brain. But, uh, you know, you know, the expression, you know, a, a journey of a thousand re begins with but a single step. But you're already have taken a lot of steps. And, you know, what do you do? So you do some smaller um you know, independent films first and, and yeah. it goes like that. And, and, and there's a million examples of, of people, but you really never know the route that it takes to get somewhere until you're looking back at that route. Mm. That's a yeah. good, very good point. Yeah. So 
uh mark before we wrap up here just real quick you have one bag what is in your camera bag so now i've got a uh, a think tank bag which is excellent um i've got a 26 l which is uh th- though in for it's Borneo, prime, like a prime 26L. Well, no, no, 26L is actually the name of the bag. It's oh, a size. I got it. It's like 26. No, no, no. That, that's a very unusual lens. Yeah, I'm yeah. the only one who has that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. It's it's a fantastic uh, bag because it it zips from the back. So in other words, in some of the places I go to really be secure with the equipment, um, when I have it on, it's actually protected because the equipment, um, you, oh, you can't, can't get to it. it. From yeah. the, so you can't get pickpocketed on the bag. At least for that. I mean, the, yeah. the computer's on the other side, but often when you're, you know, on the street, you know, the computer's back at a, you know, a safe place. Yeah. Uh, but also you can take the bag off and move it around and there's sort of a waistband so you don't actually have to put it down. And so when I was in, and I got it just before I went to uh, Wadi Rum because it's all sand. And so you don't want to put your camera equipment down or, you know, camera bag down and pick up sand and all that. And there it is. It's 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 a fantastic, uh, fantastic bag. And and actually on my website, I did put a shot of me carrying the bag, and there was no way around to get uh, past this waterfall. Yeah. And I got drenched, but I put the. It comes with a as most of the great camera bags do. It comes with a sort of a rain jacket for it. Um, but inside the bag itself, I've got uh, a Nikon D eight fifty and a backup eight. 10. I've got um, uh, a couple of fixed lenses. I did have a 14 to 24 short zoom, but now mm-hmm. I've got uh, a fixed 14 and a fixed 20. Uh, then a 24 to 70. That's my, that's a Nikkor 2.8. And one thing I would recommend to people is um, try to go for fast lenses uh, as opposed to a lens that has a variable f-stop, meaning that as you zoom in, that f-stop changes. Uh, because then you could... Uh, work in lower light. Now those lenses are bigger. And so that's a trade-off once again. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so 24 to 70, then 70 to 200, 28. Um, and then I've got a 105 macro, which is a great lens sometimes for portraiture, but often just to shoot something close. Then I've got a, um, a 300 2.8 fixed. And now the newest lens is a 500 5.6. Man. And, but it's not that big. That's because it's 5.6. So because of that, that aperture that's, that is not that wide, they could make it much smaller, but it's super sharp. And so, so, you know, on my Instagram, if you see the pictures of the, um, the tigers in India, those were shot with a 500 5.6. And that's all in this one bag that you, this is your travel bag. It's well, all the 300 so big. That's, that's why I've got, uh, a bigger think tank bag for mm. Borneo, okay. Because okay. because I really do have to sort of reach out and photograph the orangutans in the in the trees, and that three hundred two eight is such a beautiful lens. Um, that uh, is a big big lens, and so that really requires the bigger camera bag. But the twenty six L is is a good size for me, and I always carry two cameras because you never know something can go down and you don't want to be in the middle of the Sahara desert and camera doesn't work. Cause the one thing that editors, um, in fact, somebody told me, I've heard this from a number of photographers working for, for geographic, um, as they say, uh, there's never excuse for not coming back with whatever work you, you get sent out to do. Yeah. They said, we publish pictures, not excuses. Yeah. So you got to, you know, and so you're professional. You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. Yeah. So so I have a backup um, uh, camera body, which actually acts not not just as a backup, but I might sometimes have a 24 to 70. Uh, When I was in Nepal on an earthquake uh, recovery thing for Vanity Fair, I had a 
24 to 70 on one uh, body and a 7,200 on the other. Mm. Now, if I'm in a dicey area uh, that I, I don't want to look overexposed with too much ca- yeah. camera equipment, uh, you know, the other stuff might be in a bag and I might just have the 24 to, to 70 with me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and I would say somebody starting out now, uh, one other piece of advice might be is really think about mirrorless now because that's obviously where everything's going. Yeah. You know, so whether you do Canon, Nikon, Sony, Fuji, film, they're, they're all good. Yeah. Um, and one other thing is, and I'm always surprised um, in classes, do know if you're shooting a full frame or crop sensor camera. It's an important one. And know what that means. Yes. Not, one's not better than the other. It's just different. But, but you just have to know. So when I'm saying 24 to 70, if you're shooting a crop sensor camera, uh, that means if you put that same lens on your crop sensor camera, it's actually going to be magnified by 1.5 or 1.6. Mm-hmm. So, so do, do um, you know, it's important for people to keep that in mind. Absolutely. Mark, yeah. thank you so much. Where can people find Great. you? Um, well, there's a bar down the block that I think I'm... Oh, <laughs> I'll you, be you know I mean right after this. Okay, <laughs> sorry. No, no. Uh, so so uh, my website is uh, markedwardharris.com. Uh, and I also list uh, workshops that are upcoming on that. And then on my Instagram, and I, I am getting better. I, I 100% finally, you know, moved into the world of social media and, and I love it. And I, you know, and I follow uh, amazing people, as I said, like Paul Nicklin. Oh, Jimmy Chin, I should do a shout out for as well. You got to follow, you know, Jimmy um, and, and a bunch of other photographers. And so uh, my Instagram is Mark Edward Harris photo. So that's basically those two ways uh, I can be tracked down. Awesome. Yeah. Your books are fantastic. People should dig in. You. Your classes are awesome. Um, I've never been to a travel one, but sounds like something Come out that next I'm year. totally be down Let's for. Let's do it. Absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you so much. Clint, thank you so yeah. much. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah.